welcome to Instruction Interruption, a podcast to celebrate New Mexico education in every corner of our beautiful state. I am host Mandy Torres, the 2020 New Mexico Teacher of the Year. Join us as educators talk pedagogy and practice and even share lessons they have learned along their teacher journey. This podcast is sponsored by the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and is produced in collaboration with the New Mexico Public Education Department. Before we dive in with this week's guest, Mr. Rafe Martinez, co-founder of the Albuquerque Sign Language Academy, here is a quick reminder about joining the NMPED's Teacher Talk Tuesdays. Don't miss your chance to sit down with Secretary Ryan Stewart to share your personal experience with teaching and learning amid COVID-19. Send me an email at newmexico.toy at state.nm.us and I will send you a link to the interest form that will get you a seat at the table with PED. Today, we get a front row seat to some pretty amazing things happening at the Albuquerque Sign Language Academy. From SEL frameworks and university partnerships across the country to project-based learning and teacher empowerment, hear how this little school is making big waves as a leader in innovation with everything from how students are assessed to how teachers are encouraged to be bold. Martinez, born and raised a Burqueño, also sees the need to disrupt the system while empowering the people within it. What I have learned in that journey is that people's hearts, for the most part, are really good in education, right? And their talent is really good. I think where, where we can learn, and what I'm learning, is that systems can be improved, right? And that's kind of my take. Like in, in any comprehensive big district, there's great people dedicated to kids and families and communities and that kind of stuff. We got to figure out how to, to make the systems more conducive to people doing good work. Martinez also talks about his personal story and how his son inspired his calling to advocate for students facing challenges within the education system. So put your pencils down and listen up. We're ready to interrupt your day with one of New Mexico's education leaders. Okay. Um, Thank you, Rafe Martinez, for joining us today. I'm so excited to have you in on our conversation. Um, So I'm just going to start out by asking you about the Albuquerque Sign Language Academy. You are the co-founder. Can you talk about your motivation and taking on that endeavor? Yeah, really good question. So I I am a co-founder and at a very personal needs. So I have a a deaf son, a deaf son with multiple needs. And and that's, uh, that's the start of the of the story for me, right? And how I got into this world of deaf education, specifically with deaf education related to deaf students who have multiple other needs besides being deaf, right? And so, um, yeah, so Ben is my son. He, he was born to us, he's 17. Uh, and so when he um, came into this, into this world, um, we knew he, he struggled to get going, right? He was a code blue baby, if you know anything about that. They, they yeah. had to kind of help him start, start just getting, getting moving. And so, um, uh, so he, out of the gates, he failed the new infant hearing screen. So we knew that there was some stuff going on with his, his hearing right, right at birth. And so through that process, we started on this 
this journey of figuring out what we, how to, um, to kind of deal with everything around having a, a, a child with special needs and specifically deaf, right? And we ran into a, a lot of institutional kind of programming that was already preset. And what happened was, as we were trying to get Ben to fit into these systems that already existed, we were finding that the systems weren't moving. Like they didn't fit, Ben didn't fit the systems and the systems weren't willing to, to, to adjust. And if they did, it was, it was minimally, right? And, and what we found out was, is that uh, a, a lot of parents with, with kids like ours, deaf plus other disabilities, we're running into the same exact issue, right? These, these historic um, institutions, historic programs that were built to serve deaf kids kind of acted one way, not taking into account this whole other, these whole other um, elements of need that needed to be addressed also, right? And so probably about 13, 14 years ago in the very grassroots way, it was a bunch of parents who were like, there, you know, we're talking, there has to be a better way for this to work, to, to play out, right? Um, we sat around a, 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 our dining room table, very grassroots, you know, cookies and, and Kool-Aid and whatever other beverages were there and um, started talking about the what ifs. What if my, you know, special needs deaf child could go to school with my hearing child or not even special needs, but just deaf child could go to school with my hearing child. And how, how do we leverage the, the power of language, you know, American Sign Language so that everybody's learning it so, and connecting the, the worlds of hearing and deaf to each other um, and that's how it started right and it was it was parents and and you know well-intended educators uh, like I said the, 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 the resources at the time were very set in stone and we tried to meet with the with the entities that existed to serve deaf right so we met with the school for the deaf folk uh, in Santa Fe and they they uh, that was that's a that's an old system that hasn't moved in a hundred plus years and they and they're not they you know they exist in Santa Fe they have preschools in town or have a preschool in town, but, and so, um, but that, that their services weren't going to switch location, right? We talked with the APS leadership at the time. This was, you know, 13, 14 years ago. And we said, we have an idea for a program. Would you be willing to think about it? And, and that didn't go anywhere. So like we, it was never really my intention to be in the charter world. I was just, I was an APS guy at the time. Right. And so, uh, but it's been, it's been the work that I'm really proud to be involved with this, you know, up to this point. So um, as a result of that, the school now we're starting our 11th year, we've gone through two charter renewals, um, done well in both, really well. Um, and, we're, and we're working at kind of uh, with a national profile. We're partnered with Harvard University, Penn State University, wow. University of Minnesota. Yeah, we're hopeful. We're hoping to get a partnership with the University of Arizona, uh, University of Southern California. Like we're, we're treading along those lines of in educational innovation, ba basically because we're brave enough to say there's got to be a better way. This isn't working. What can we do to change it? And we're small enough, nimble enough brave enough, motivated enough, right, to, to just keep pushing forward. Um, and of course, you know, and I, and I left out UNM. UNM has been pivotal in helping us just try to figure out how we want to staff uh, just such a weird looking school, right? And so they've stepped to us through, um, through their dual license uh, program, you know, regular special ed. Um, and just so you know, Mandy, like the, the thing that distinguishes us and makes us special, makes us different, is we're this school that serves both deaf kids and hearing kids in the same learning environment, right? 
Um, we're a majority special ed school, so we're in the 60 to 65 percent of our students, of our total population, um, operate on an IEP. So we're a majority special ed, but also we, we, we about 25 percent of our total population are special needs. Not, not just special ed, but you know they have multiple needs, and, and language language being the the the, the cohesive agent that co that that connects our entire community. So I hope I answered your question. I just tend to ramble. Yeah, no, that was great, and it sounds amazing. And I I wish there would be more educators out there willing to take those chances and willing to say, you know, what we're doing isn't working. How are we going to fix it? How can we try new things? I think. I think education in general is just kind of stuck and it has been stuck and we and I think the pandemic has really pointed that out that we've got to we've got to change the way that we're doing some things. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to know how that's working, how the pandemic has affected you all because you know there's a lot of conversation happening about you know in school versus remote learning and maybe that students who need extra support aren't getting what they need but that is what your school is all about. So how has everything been working for you and for your students right now through the pandemic? Yeah, it's it, it's difficult. It is, and it's not ideal. And I think, and not only not ideal for the education ends that we want to meet, right? But it's also not ideal for the um, for the humanity of our of our of our both our staff and our kids and our families. Like the thing that has distinguished us over the years that we've become really good at is is this building this um, community that is that is. Um, uh, Health, healthily connected, if that makes sense, right? So it's not just that, that we exist as a hub, but we're a hub where, where, where parents find resource, where parents, parents find, um, you know, support with dealing with kids with special needs. And I, I'm telling you that, you know, as a parent of a kid, of a child with special needs, that there's a, there's a, a skill set that I think people need to develop as a parent to deal with some of the kind of special circumstances that come dealing with kids who need extra support right not that all kids don't need support. all kids need support um, one of the things again that distinguishes us uh, from most folk is is our high level of social emotional support as it's embedded within the construct of the school right and so um, a, a virtual platform makes that more difficult we still do it we're still doing it we're digging in hard um, as a result of that that kind of commitment to social emotional education in order so that kids can be the best learners they can be right we are, um, so we're, we're in a virtual platform now academically, but through a partnership, again, with UNM, uh, physical education teacher department, right, the, the training of the, of the PE teachers, we're bringing in our most um, at-risk, if you call that, at-risk population of kids in five-to-one ratios with student teachers from, the, from UNM. And, and, it's, and it's all outdoors, right, that we have the luxury of New Mexico you know, 70, 80 degree weather in October, November. So we're going to take advantage of that. And, and days in which it's inclement weather, we'll, we'll act accordingly and do what we got to do. But everything's outside. Everyone's going to be masked. Everyone's going to be distanced. But we're going to be um, bringing kids in under the umbrella of physical activity and special and uh, physical activity and PE, right? The academic portions of the school are going to stay virtual. And the reason for that is, um, I think there was a there is a bit of a gamble of trying to go you know start up hybrid having something happen an outbreak having to go back virtual oh and then we're going to go back hybrid I think that switching is not good for for kids in general our right. population I think it's even more detrimental in that routine stability mm -hmm. is our friend <laughs> right yeah for any kid yeah. yeah 
Yeah, working with kids with special needs, it's really a, a hallmark of, of our success is making sure that we're consistent and stable. And like I said, and, and routine becomes a part of us. I think all kids flourish in stability, but um, when, when you're dealing with kids with special needs, that's especially true. So it was, it was, we were decided that we're gonna stay virtual, but we had this component of in-person um, learning. On top of that, a lot of our kids receive therapies. Most of our kids receive therapies. So, so we have designated days also where kids can come in and meet with the OT, the PT, the SLP um, in isolation, right? And, and masked and all that kind of stuff so that, so that we're safe. But yeah, so we're, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of moving pieces to the equation, right? To the, to the puzzle, but we're, we're managing. And, and because we're small, 110 kids, right? We, we are able to, uh, to, to navigate it. And is that all grades um, what, or what grades are at your school? Yeah, so we actually, we're a, a kindergarten to 12 plus transition. So we actually serve kids all the way to age 22. Okay. And so, um, <clears throat> and you know, and we're, and I'll just tell you this, Mandy, we're capped at 110-ish kids by, by our space. We I, ideally, we have a, a significant waiting list every year and we know there's a need for what we do. There's a desire for people to, to want to come to this school because of what, what we do and how we do it. Um, it's just, we don't have the, we don't have the space to accommodate, you know, and, um, you know, we, we're, um, we've weathered some things in our history so that now we have a pipeline of teachers through this, our partnership with UNM. So, you know, if, if, in, if, you know, God willing, we ever get into a, a, a school facility that accommodates our program, that's, that suits our program, we'll be able to expand. And I have some rocking teacher waiting, rocking teachers waiting, waiting in the wings, sorry, um, <laughs> that we've trained through our programs. And what is that based on? Would it just, you just need like more grants? How do, how do you get the funding? Yeah, so we're, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the, the public school facility authorities ranking system of schools, uh -huh. but basically there's this, uh, the state has a, a pot of, not, I don't say a pot of money, but a, a financial trigger where schools that are considered in need of facility um, or, or renovations or, or things like that, that uh, you can, you're on a ranking list and based on your rank, the state will match the money for a either renovation or, or a build, right? So right now we sit as number two in the state, which is a great, I think that, that's unheard of that a charter school is even that high. So we are ranked number two, which means we qualify for a match grant to build. And we're, we're in partner, we're partnered with uh, Bernalillo County and we're working with them to hopefully get on a piece of property that we would team and programmatically build um, things with them through their, through their 4-H program, you know, their county extension 4-H through, through Grow the Growers, where our kids would be involved in that in that world of outdoor education, you know, rural education, agricultural education, but we but we need to raise half the money. So so and it's a build, right? And we're trying to build our own school. So our estimations are somewhere between mm, fourteen and nineteen million split in half, as we would we would have to cover that through um, through a loan or through fundraising things like that. It, yeah. It's not it's not undoable. We can do it. We're do, we're we're doing it. We're moving. But it's you know. $8 million just doesn't sit around my house. So. <laughs> so we're trying to figure out how to, how to come up with that match. And then the state will help us with, with the build. And we've already done some things legwork to really put us in a good position to, to, to hopefully break ground by the end of this, this year. That's what we're hoping. Wow. Well, that's exciting. Well, good luck with that. It sounds like you guys are doing some amazing things over there. And I'm just curious, um, if, are you using like a certain SEL program or how are you going about well, that? Well, maybe other teachers or schools could adopt what you're doing. Yeah, so we, no, it's, well, part of it is self-created. So we've created this tool 
uh, we've had some really good people uh, work here and, and continue to work here. So we created this tool called the FQSS, the Foundational, Qual Foundational Qualities of Student Success, right? It's kind of a self-built metric around social emotional hallmarks and, and you know, benchmarks and you know, individualized per kid. And it's, it's a team of teachers that evaluate kids on that. But that creation has led to our partnership with Harvard University and McLean Hospital through their initiative. It's called the PARA Initiative. Mm -hmm. And so we're the only school in the state that's, that's formally partnered with them. And they're interested in us because they don't have in their, you know, they work, they have a big portfolio on the, in, on the East, right? In the East. Uh, but they don't have our population of kids, DHA, deaf and hard of hearing, DHH, and uh, special needs and that kind of stuff. So we're giving them... Uh, what we're trying to do is connect our tool that we created to their tool. It's, it's the pair, uh, what, everything's connected to their, to their program, kind of marry the two and create a system that is, um, that is user-friendly, effective in, in, in determining kind of uh, where students are in their social emotional growth, being able to track it through, through hard data and then, and then act accordingly. You know, what interventions would actually work to address the issues that kids have any kid may have that that impedes their learning right that's and that's and that's the bottom line to all this right that social emotional uh, learning is around how to f to give any human being the ability to be their best learner right it's not just the sake of hey everybody needs therapy let's give them therapy right it's not that it's about <laughs> right. taking care of the humanity of kids so that they can become their best uh give them the best opportunity to learn and be the scholar that they can be right reach their potential that's that's what that's about well, it sounds really great. I hope you get the opportunity to share that more widely at some well, point. Yeah, and look, and just to, and I'll say this here, we are creating things that we want to share with the rest of the state, right? We are a lab school, and, and, and I don't, I don't um, shy away from that declaration. We want to be the best lab school in the nation because I think we're already down, walking down that path. The, our work with Penn State and the University of Minnesota has led to uh, a, a never before reading assessment that's normed to deaf students, but it's also usable for hearing kids too, right? Okay. It's, so four years ago, Penn State, through, through, through some crazy kind of serendipitous circumstances, we got connected with the University of Minnesota through a, a, a professor by the name of, of um, Dr. Sue Rose, a big name in the, in the world of deaf education nationally. So she found out about us and she, you know, kind of this little like, little school in Albuquerque, like, eh, what are you guys trying to do over there, right? And, and through some really, again, kind of fortunate circumstances, she, she had connections to some families and a family in Santa Fe that knew about us. And so I get this cold call, like, hey, you don't know me, I'm Dr. Rose, and I, uh, I'm on your website, I'm looking at what you guys are doing, and I'm, I'm intrigued. Do you mind if I come and visit, right? So, so she flew out to, to visit her friends in Santa Fe, and she spent the day with me. And it was, it was our she's our guardian angel. She came in and basically she gave us permission to be who we are, which is someone who serves all kids to the needs of that child, but within the framework of being using, you know, American sign language as a connective tissue between all, all kids and really kind of honing in that, that the needs of a kid becomes the target of our practice, right? That's it's what, it's what drives us. So she, through that connection, she connected us through through University of Minnesota to Penn State around this, this assessment they were creating. So they created it, but we became the only school in the nation that they beta tested it with for that year. So wow. we were the first 
And then from there, they've been onboarding different districts and different deaf schools throughout the nation, but we, we're still in and they, they do work with us. Um, and now we're working with them closely to, de to basically design and create what we call the ASLA recipe of reading, reading instruction, taking mm -hmm. existing, existing curricula and packaging it and using it in a way that connects to, to meet our ends, right? And, and she and Penn State, you know, th those assessments have become just so valuable in how we then engage this other, the next step of how to teach reading to deaf kids, right? So yeah. with multiple needs and everything else. So yeah, so, so that, I mean, that's, that's kind of uh, what we do. We, we're, we're that school that when we develop something, we want to share it. As a result of, of that whole story I just told you, we took that assessment to the PED and went, met with uh, Deputy Secretary Warnament and Director Lynn Vasquez, and uh, they were open to the idea of, of um, how to make this uh, alternative assessment for kids who need it, right? Where it's an appropriate yeah. use, they want it, and, and we, want to, we want them to use it, right? We want them to know we're building things so that we can help the kids in New Mexico no matter where they go to school. Well, it sounds like fascinating work and, and thank you for doing that. But, you know, there's such a need for that. So, wow. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, you said your philosophy is about creating an environment where good people can be bold. And I think you've already touched on that, you know, with like the bold ideas and the bold things that you're doing. But can you explain how you go about creating that environment? Because in teaching, it doesn't always feel like educators are allowed that space, right? And you truly have to be brave and courageous to feel like you can be bold in what you want to do in your work. So how have you gone about creating that environment? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's, it's probably a question we could probably build a whole seminar on, right? Because it's, <laughs> um, But I'll just tell you this. So I, my roots, um, so not so I'm an, I'm an old former old English teacher, but I was also a basketball coach, right? So I was, I like the idea of, of sports and team and coming together to overcome adversity and, you know, common goal, all that stuff is, is um, how I grew up in the world of sports, which I bring a lot of those concepts into the, into educational leadership, right? And that whole idea that it's, it's, a, it's a building a, a culture. And I know that's a, that's a use, that's a buzzword that people just kind of tend to throw around, but really building a culture where the, the staff feels, um, they feel, deputized to be mad scientists right <laughs> and i think that that's something that we we pride ourselves on we want people to push the envelope to to do things and and i have a, a really so my staff now is is amazing they've like we have grown our own but we've also attracted really dynamic teachers and therapists and, and leaders who um who believe that education could could and should be done uh, to suit the humanity of the population of kids we work with, right? Period. And in doing that, you don't let go of the idea of rigor and that kids can learn, that kids do have talent, they do have assets, they do have potential. And our job is to do everything we can to unleash that. I think um, so many, and, and, and I'll tell you this, and we're not driven by test scores. We're not. And we do well. It, it as is appropriate to the child, right? So we have kids who are who are um, gifted, testing at the 99 percentile on, on standardized tests, and we have kids with significant special needs doing this, doing work that is appropriate to them, and they're um, excelling beyond, you know, their IEP when they first came into us. Things like that, right? And look, I'll, and I'll, I'll use myself and my personal family situation to to exemplify that. 
Ben, my deaf child with special needs, 17, has blossomed in this place. He has a sense of himself and everything that he does. Um, he's doing well. But I also have a nine-year-old who's gifted, uh, regular, typically developing all that stuff. And he's getting what he needs as well, right? And, and to do that, to serve both those, those ends of, of kid, I guess, if you want to call it that, um, you know, we had, to, we had to get rid of kind of antiquated concepts of what public education is. One of them being, we don't run necessarily by grades like you'd see in a traditional classroom, right? We blew up grades because it's about child development. What does the data tell you and how do you group kids in a way that preserves their sense of identity or so, you know, so we don't want to squash kids and, you know, if they're not doing well to put them with, you know, it's not, not tracking, but, but a, a way to kind of group kids in a literacy based um, methodology that, that gives them what they need. But then other parts of the day, they're working hands-on with in a peer assisted learning model, deaf child, he hearing child working together to, you know, use the language and create something great. Um, uh, you know, project-based learning, you know, problem solving learning, like all the concepts that are out there, we've, we brought together and built a program that's systematic and it's effective. It's, it's yielding the results we want it to. Again, it sounds like your work you're doing just sounds so amazing. <laughs> it makes me want to go there <laughs> or at least come visit. Okay. I would love, you know, once we get out of this pandemic, I would love to come visit and see what's happening. over there. And you're always welcome. Doors open. And, and that, you know, that's the other thing we do too. I invite people here all the time cold tours of the, of the place right I we never tell I never tell teachers what's going on and and not because I'm it's not for any reason other than we're always on right it's you'll never see a dog and pony show and you sometimes you'll see a train wreck but it's the reality of what we do and working and developing humans right is sometimes messy but beautiful at the same time right and so that's what that's what we're involved in so I want to go back and just focus on, on you a little bit as an educator. So this is your 29th year in education. So, you know, first of all, thank you for the strong commitment that you've had to the profession. Um, but you must have some amazing stories. Is there one that stands out for you that really defines your experience as an educator? I know that's a hard question to put you on the spot. That, that's really hard. <laughs> so, um, you know, I got to say, I... I, I got to say, I think this journey in this world that I never thought I would be a part of anything having to do with deaf education or even special education. I was, like I said, I was an English teacher, basketball coach. That was my, that's how I walked in the door 29 years ago. Um, so I never really thought I'd be here. And, and I'm so happy the, that fate kind of put me in this space. I feel, I, I feel like I'm, I have a duty to do something with it. I really do. Um, and, and not just because it's personal for, for me, but it's also, I mean, I, the other piece of this is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a home, I'm a homer. I'm a New Mexico, went to Valley High School, all those public schools in that Valley cluster. Um, I stayed in Albuquerque. I, I just, I believe in what New Mexico is. I do. And so, I, you know, there's, there's so many that, to, your, to answer your question, I, there's so many things that kind of have forced me to be reflective and shaped my philosophies on education. You know, um, I went, I'll just be, you know, I went, I was a basketball coach for a lot of years. I was uh, not successful. And, and I think it was a, a, the blow to the ego was something that made me step back and say, I, I get it. And, you know, maybe there's a different path for me. And then when Ben came around, it was something was just dragging me into a space that I thought maybe, well, you might be effective here. Right. I don't know. That's, that's such a <laughs> hokey answer maybe, 
but I don't know. I, I'm sitting in a place right now that I think I'm, I have the um, ability to make a difference for the state. I, and I, and I don't want to under, I don't want to underplay the idea or, or sound, you know, pandering, but the, but the, New Mexico is a special place and it sometimes bothers me that that statistically on a national level we come in ranked so low because it doesn't capture the heart of New Mexico. It doesn't capture the things that are great here and that are special, right? And I think our connection to the land is something that is not captured on national, you know, national rankings, but it's something that is part of our New Mexico existence, right? And so I think, I think those things and the education and the relationships and the cultural kind of uh, connections that, you know, as imperfect as things may be, they're still different than the rest of the country and we, know, we don't get credit for it. So I don't, I don't know if I can answer your question specifically about a single point in time that I can remember other than I'm, I, uh, I've had a, uh, an opportunity to work with some really good people over the course of my career. And I just, um, what I have, you know, I'll, I'll say this, what I have learned in that journey is that people's hearts for the most part are really good in education, right? And their talent is really good. I think where, where we can learn and what I'm learning is that systems can be improved, right? And that's kind of my take. Like in, in any comprehensive big district, there's great people dedicated to kids and families and communities and that kind of stuff. We got to figure out how to, to make the systems more conducive to people doing good work, you know, so that it doesn't chew them up and spit out good work. Um, well, Ray, thank you for sharing your story. Um, I, you know, I just, I'm just amazed at the work that, and the passion that you have for it. I think it just, that really just comes out in the way that you talk about your school and your students. And you know, just thank you for lifting up New Mexico. And thank you for coming on the show. And um, I can't wait for everybody to hear your story and about the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again to Rafe, to the NMPED, and to Namoga for its sponsorship. May you be bold in your ideas, and may you also have a plan to get out and vote. Everyone needs a voice, especially when it comes to education. Thanks for listening.